Amen. Christ alone, cornerstone, praise his glorious name. Get your Bibles, if you haven't already, and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And as I look at this passage, we've already read through it, but as I look at this passage, here's here's what I think it, it tells us to do. We need to get ready. I'm reminded of that reality that we as Christians living in a hostile world, a hostile environment, we need to get ready. Here's why I say that. Just in the last past couple of weeks, there was a certain law that has been passed in Ireland. And that law is in relation to hate speech. Hate speech. And, it, and, it, and what it has done is in the first time in the history of our state, it has made certain speech unlawful. Certain uh, vocabulary unlawful, certain speech online unlawful in this way. It's criminalized speech in this way. That if you were to say certain types of comments on social media or whatever, you could be fined or you could be in prison. And, and, it, and in some ways, we as Christians, we want to say, yes, we hate certain hate speech. We hate racism. We hate when people speak down on others. In fact, in the scripture, we, we are told to speak in ways that honor other people. We are told in Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what builds others up. So, so we want to be careful with our speech. But here's the difficulty with this and this hate speech law that has come in. You don't have to think too far ahead than when you see the reality of the day that comes in which a preacher might pick up the Bible and speak certain verses that might be seen as hate speech online. We're not far away from that day. In fact, that day could have already come with this law being passed. So the reality is, if I'm going to speak and preach on, 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 on say, the sanctity of life, on, on the uh, protection of the unborn, it could be perceived as hate speech in our society. If I am to say uh, the sanctity of marriage, that it is between a man and a woman, and speak in that way, that language from script, Scripture may be seen as hate speech. We're not far away from that day. And I don't say that to get you worried. I say that to get you ready. We need to be ready. What do we need to be ready for? Primarily, what Peter and what God is saying through this text today is we need to get ready to suffer. We need to get ready to suffer in this way. We need to get ready for persecution that is going to come our way in this world. We live in a hostile environment. We are exiles and strangers in this world. And so we're not to get complacent. We are to get ready. And this is what I believe it says in, in the first couple of verses of our passage. Get ready. Look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Here's what you see. The primary action verb in this passage, the primary command in this passage for us is this warlike language that says, arm yourselves. In other words, get yourselves ready. Ready. 
Why? Since Christ has suffered. Last week we talked about Christ's suffering and the victory therein. Christ Jesus suffered and bore our sins on the tree. And when he bore our sins on the tree, we look unto him and those who are following after him realize this reality. If he suffered, I am going to suffer. If he was rejected, I'm going to be rejected. If he was despised, I'm going to be despised. If he was persecuted, I am going to be persecuted. And so Peter calls upon us and says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. Get that thinking into your head. Get yourself ready. That persecution, ridicule, suffering, whatever you want to call it, is coming your way. We need to do that. It's so important. Whenever I'm about to tell someone something hard, something difficult that I know they're going to find really hard to grasp or understand. I go to them and I say something like this. Look, I've got to tell you something, but it's going to be hard. So I need you to get yourself ready. This is, this is going to be hard. I've got to tell you something. What am I doing there? I'm preparing the person to get themselves ready. That's what Peter's doing. He's saying, listen, something hard is going to come your way. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to get yourself ready. And so just like that conversation with the other person, I'm, I'm getting them to get their thoughts together and know that this is coming down the line so that they won't be surprised. We need to get ready for this type of suffering in this hostile environment that we live in. You're not going to win any prizes or awards for being a Christian. You've got to get ready to suffer. And you say, why should I get ready to suffer? Why should I do that? Why should I get ready to suffer? And in these verses, these first two verses, we're given two reasons as to why you should get ready to suffer. The first is this. You should get ready to suffer because you hate sin. And if you hate sin in this world, people will hate you. If you speak against it, if you are against it, if you live in a different and opposite way, people are going to be against you. It is because you hate sin. And we see that in the in the second half of verse one. It says this for whoever has suffered in the flesh, suffered in the body, has ceased from sin. They hate sin. And now when it says cease from sin, we know that doesn't mean that I've stopped sinning. Right. It doesn't mean that because, you know, even in this letter, even in one Peter chapter two, he says, don't have envy, rivalry, malice. He, he tells people don't sin fight against sin so it's not saying when it's saying we've seen sin that we're never going to sin again it's not saying that in, in the scripture and we know it's not saying that from experience even when we suffer we continue to sin we're tempted to sin and we continue in our sin but what it means is this if you are willing to suffer for jesus you are saying in effect i am finished with sin that's what you're saying. I am ceased with sin. I am done with sin. Sin is dead to me. So you wake up every morning and you are at war. You're ready to fight. And you're ready to say in this world, I'm done with sin in this world. I'm, I'm going to speak for the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to speak for things like the protection of the unborn. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to be ready to suffer in that way because I am finished with sin. I am done with it. That's why we are ready to suffer. That's why we should be ready to suffer because we are finished with sin. 
but also not only because we are finished with sin, we are finished not only with my sin, I am finished with my will. I'm finished with living a life that says me first. I'm finished with living a life that says my passions, my lusts, my desires first. I'm finished with that way of living. And you see that in in the rest of the verse. It says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The one who is ready to suffer says, I am finished with my sin and I'm finished with my will. I want God's will to be done. I don't want my passions, I want his passions. I don't want my will, I want his will. I don't want my sin, I want my Savior. I want him and his will to be done in my life. So our prayer is like Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. And so in that way, we're ready to suffer. I'm ready to do whatever it takes because I love my Savior. And I hate my sin. And so I'm ready to suffer. We need to get ready. Don't get complacent in your Christianity. Don't get complacent in your faith. Get yourselves ready for war. Another law was passed in Ireland in the last couple of weeks again. It's crazy how quickly they can do these things. In the past couple of weeks, what have they done? They have criminalized worship gatherings. Criminalize worship gatherings. So if we were to decide to gather together this morning and not meet online like we are, we could be fined and we could be imprisoned for gathering in the Lord's name. And and that's crazy timing for me. It is crazy timing because for months, the majority of churches, yes, there may have been some outliers, but for months, the majority of churches have complied with all the regulations. And soon we are being told in May that churches will be allowed open again and regather again. And yet they have said we're going to criminalize worship meetings. And I find that crazy timing. I find that crazy that they would ask us to do that. And I don't say this to get us worried. I say this to get us ready. If they're able to do that, we're not, we're not far steps away from harder things coming for Christians in this land to stand for Jesus Christ. And you need to know, well, who am I going to stand for? Am I ready to suffer? Are you, let me ask you really simply, are you ready to suffer for your Savior? Are you ready? Because if you're not ready, you may as well give up now. We're going to follow Jesus by the strength and power of the Spirit. Get us ready, Lord. If persecution is going to come our way, get us ready for all of this. Because this is what suffering does. Suffering brings you to a crossroads. Suffering brings you to a crossroads in your life where you say, Am I going to follow my sin or follow my Savior? When people are ridiculing me, coming against me, persecuting me, you come to a crossroads. Am I going to follow my sin or my Savior? Am I going to follow man's will or God's will? And that's what we see in in the rest of this passage. It is either man's will or God's will. That's why he ends verse 2 by saying, 
for human passions, but for the will of God. Either you follow man's will or God's will. And so you need to get ready not only to suffer, but you need to get ready to reject man's will and embrace God's will. In verses 3 to 6, he talks about the reality of man's will for your life. We need to reject that. And in verses 7 to 11, he talks about the reality of God's will. And we need to get ready to embrace that. So let us look first at verses 3 to 6. Get ready to reject man's will. What is man's will for our lives? Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That's their will. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They they hate you. So this is man's will for your life. This was your past. He uses the word past in those verses. This was your past. The one thing all of us have in common this morning is every single one of us has a past. And the temptation that you will face when you go through suffering and heartache and struggle in this world, the temptation you will face is to go back to your past, to go back to your old way of life, to go back to the comforts. What he's saying in this passage is, no, you need to reject man's will. You need to go away from man's will. You need to get ready to reject man's will for your life because there's pressure on us. There's pressure on us to go the way that the world is going. There's pressure on young people and old people. It's funny, you know, we think that that peer pressure only happens with young people. And it certainly does happen with young people. I remember when I first became a Christian in secondary school. I first became a Christian and I started to tell all my friends and the pressure I came under. They wanted me to go their way. They wanted me to drink their drink and smoke what they were smoking. They wanted me to do these things and follow their way. And I had to stand up against it. Young people, if you're watching, you need to get ready to suffer and get ready to reject their will for your life. But this is not only true of young people and peer pressure. This is also true of adults. Yes, peer pressure might be more subtle for adults. But there is this reality that we're so consumed with pleasing people in our lives. We are. I bet that happens to you in the workplace. Or when you're with with the other mums in the playground or whatever. Someone comes to you, someone says a joke or whatever it might be, or they're speaking about something inappropriate. And what do they want you to do? They want you to join in and be a part of it. And you've got a choice at that moment. You come to a crossroads moment and you say to yourself, am I going to choose my sin or am I going to choose my savior? We need to do that. And whenever we do that, do you know what happens? When you choose to make a stand with your friends, whether you're young or you're old, when you choose to make a stand, do you know what happens? They are surprised, aren't they? That's what it says in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, they hate you. 
People are surprised when you don't follow after their will for your life, when you don't follow after man's will. And so what we need to do is not only get ready to suffer, but get ready to reject their will for our lives. And they will be surprised. Let me ask you this question. Are people surprised with how you live? Are the non-Christians in your life, the Christians, are are the non-Christians in your life, those people who don't follow Christ, are they surprised by the way you live? Or do you just fit right in? Because that will be an indication to you as to which way you're going. If they're not surprised by anything that you are doing, maybe you are following your sin and not following your Savior. People are to be surprised. And so it may happen like this. Have you ever been part of a a WhatsApp group or a a messaging group and and you go into the text and certain people are saying certain things that are inappropriate. It kind of goes back and forth. Maybe it's a photo. Maybe it's some comments or something. And maybe you choose at that moment to be silent. In that moment, people will be surprised by you. And they will reject you. Don't fear that. Don't fear that reality. Or again, if you're in the workplace and someone is telling the story and and you know, I shouldn't be part of this. This shouldn't be about this. Are they surprised when you don't take part? People should be surprised with your life and how you have chosen. No, I'm not doing my will. I'm not doing your will. I want to follow God's will. So we want to reject the will of man in our life. And that may mean suffering. And one of the primary reasons we reject the will of man in our lives is this. Judgment day is coming. There is a time. There is a time when this world and the realities of the sin and the debauchery and all of what they follow. This world will come into judgment. And that's what verse 5 says. But they will give an account. Those who are surprised by you, what you're not doing, do you know what they're going to do? They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Here's the reality. Here's the big picture of these verses. Jesus is coming back again and he will judge the living and the dead. Are you ready for that day? And what will tell whether you were ready or not for that day is what you do with the gospel. Did you notice that? He mentioned the gospel and there's two responses to the gospel. One is rejection and one is acceptance. And that will matter on that day as to whether you live or whether you die, as whether you get into eternity of heaven or whether you go to eternity in hell. The gospel will make the difference on that day. What you did with the gospel, what you did with the reality that our Savior Jesus was born into this world, that our Savior Jesus was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows who had done no wrong. That our Savior Jesus was crucified upon that cross. That our Savior Jesus did that for you. 
that he bore the wrath of God that you and I deserved, that our Savior Jesus did not only stay on that cross, but he was buried. And on the third day, our Savior Jesus rose again. And what did we do? As we talked about last week, our Savior Jesus, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father as if to say, you lose. And what we do with that message will determine where we spend eternity. And on that day, every one of us will give an account. Everyone will give an account. It's funny, you know, I look at the news, I look at life, and everybody in life wants everybody else to be held to account, don't they? They want everybody else to be held to account. We want China to be held to account for what's happening. We want the government to be held to account. For those of you who are into soccer, you want, you want club owners to be held to account. You, in the news, we've heard about George Floyd's murder trial. We want the murderer to be held to account. We're always pointing, pointing the finger. We want everybody else to be held to account. Well, one day you will be held to account for everything you have said, everything you have done, everything you have thought, which means this. There is no secret in your life. No secret. There is no secret thought. There is no secret word. There is no secret deed. You may be able to hide it from men and people, but you cannot hide it from God. And one day you will give an account. And the only thing that will free you from judgment on the day that you give an account is this. My sin is great, but my Savior, he died for me. He has taken my place, and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I am guilty, but he has set me free. And so that's why we need to reject the will of man. Because a day of account and reckoning is coming. And on that day, we need to plead the blood of the Lamb. So Lord, help us. Help us get ready to suffer. And Lord, help us get ready to reject the will of man in our lives. Who cares if they're surprised by what you do? Who cares if they're surprised by what you say? You are following God. Arm yourselves. Get yourself ready for doing battle in this world. It is not going to be easy. No one promised that. So get yourself ready to reject the will of man. But get yourself ready to embrace the will of God. What is the will of God for our lives? It says it in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Judgment day is coming. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. For the sake of your prayers, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is God's will for your life. 
Now, there's loads that are said in there, but let me summarize God's will in your life in this way. Love one another, host one another, and serve one another. If you want to know God's will for your life, love one another, host one another, serve one another. This is God's will specifically in a context context when your backs are against the wall. When you're in a hostile environment, as they were in Asia Minor and as we are in this world, these commands are so, so important for us. What are we to do? Love one another. Host one another. Serve one another. Look at what it says there in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, this is the first thing we are to do as part of God's will. If we're going to embrace God's will, this is the first thing we are to do. Love one another. And do you notice what it says? Keep loving one another. And I know, I know right now, that is one of the hardest things to do right now, isn't it? To love one another. Because you say to me, well, Shane, Shane, how are we going to love one another when we don't see one another, right? Or even as us, as a, as a young church plant, how, how are we going to love one another when, it, when we don't really know one another? How are we going to do that? Like practically, how does that work out? Can I just encourage you by saying this? I have noticed in some very small ways, even in this difficult time, how you have loved one another. You have. You know, in our group text and WhatsApp, we, we send out, will you, will you pray for this person? Will you pray for that person? And I know people are praying. People are not only sending text to the group and saying, I'm praying, which is so, so good for us to do that. That's really, really practical. But also people behind the scenes are texting that individual and saying, I'm continuing to pray. That's a very simple way in which we are loving one another. And can I say to you, let's keep loving one another. Let's do what he says. We're in a difficult situation right now, aren't we? Our backs are against the wall right now, aren't we? I'm looking into a camera right now, haven't I? How are we going to keep loving one another? Keep texting one another. Keep communicating with one another. It's a simple way. And it might feel awkward, but push yourself. Push yourself to do that. Keep going. Let me encourage you. Keep loving one another. That's what we need to get ready for. That's part of this battle. Keep on going. And another way I'm really encouraged as I see this is just right now. Right now, what are you doing? You're tuned into the service right now. And you know that is a very practical way in which you are loving each other. You're saying, you know what? Outside is really sunny, but I'm going to get on a computer screen because I love God and I love my brothers and sisters. Can I just say, that's so good. This is a practical way that we can love one another. And can I say this? Let us get ready for the day where we can love one another properly. Pray for each other. Gather together. Be concerned with, for one another. 
Because one of the ways I think he says that we can love one another as part of God's will is the second thing that he says, host one another. Host one another. Look what he says. You say, how on earth am I going to do that now? I'll give you some ideas. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's what I mean by hosting one another. We're to open up our lives and to open up our homes to one another. And notice what it says. Without grumbling. So what that means Right. We can't open up our homes right now. But what I think that means is we can get ready. You can decide right now in Passage West Baptist. Am I going to be ready not only to love one another? Am I going to be ready to host one another? Am I going to be ready? And one of the things that stops you from getting ready to do that is grumbling. It's interesting to me that in that same verse, you have hospitality and grumbling both together. Because I think grumbling stops us from hosting. Here's what we grumble about. We grumble about things like this. Well, I don't really know them. How can I invite them over? How can I, they be part of my life? Because it's just going to be awkward. And so we grumble and we say, I'm not going to invite them. I'm just going to invite all the people it's comfortable for me to invite because because, you know, they don't suit me. Their personality doesn't suit me. This is the thing about New Testament hospitality. It was primarily hospitality to the stranger. So we're called to host one another and love one another, even if it might be awkward for us. Without grumbling. Or we might grumble in this way. We might say, you know, my house isn't ready. My house isn't clean enough. Or my cooking skills aren't good enough. No one said with hospitality that you need to cook. (laughs) Maybe you could get a takeaway. Maybe you could lower your standards. Maybe you could invite someone over for coffee. Maybe right now, right now, we, we can't get people into our homes but maybe we can have a hospitality mentality host one another mentality that says will you go out for a walk with me will we have a cup of coffee together host one another welcome one another i would love if in passage west baptist when new people came into the church that people were literally fighting to host them that's what we should be and, and, and listen, here, here's going to be the temptation. I'm talking about this very practically because I think we need to. Here's going to be the temptation. We might grumble in this way. No one hosts me. No one invites me. No one asks me to do anything. Well, here's what I would say to you. Maybe this command is for you. Maybe you are called. Maybe God is calling you this morning to take the initiative. To be the one to take the initiative and step out. Maybe you can be part of the solution to this problem. If it ever does happen in Passage West Baptist. So let us get ourselves ready as soon as they open up our gardens. Why don't we open up our gardens to one another? As soon as we can open up our homes. Why don't we open up our homes to one another? This is going to take time, but this is part of God's will. We need to get ready to love one another. Host one another. And finally, the last thing is to serve one another. Do you hear what it says in verse 10? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. 
Here's what this means. Every single one of you is valuable to our church. Every single one of us. You're valued by God. And God has given you a gift. When he saved you, he saved you by by giving us gifts. And the body are to use those gifts for him and for other people. We're saved to serve in this way. And so when we get back, let's get ready to continue to serve one another. What's been so frustrating for me. You know, as I know, our service right now is very one dimensional. In order for someone to serve, I, I find it difficult sometimes to ask people to record something because I know it's just one dimensional. It's just, you know, it might be everybody's thing to record on a camera. And so that's really, really hard. But as things start to own, open up, more and more opportunities are going to come for people to serve. And that might even just be spiritual gifts. That might be practical things. I don't think there's a spiritual gift of putting out chairs, but we still need it to be done. I don't think there's a spiritual gift of setting up sound, but we still need it to be done. We need these practical things. And and what we're saying and loving one another and hosting one another and serving one another is, I love you. I'm going to do this. And so the one who speaks is going to speak as though he's speaking the very words of God. That's why I speak in the way that I do, because I'm called to do that. I'm not called to give you a lecture this morning. I'm not called to do that. I'm not called to give you a talk this morning. I'm not called to do that. There is a weight behind what I have to say that I need to speak. I'm commanded by God to speak as though I'm speaking his very words. That's weight. But that is a service to you. And so we need to all get ready to serve one another as God has distributed the gifts in the body. And we do this. Notice this is really, really important. At the end of verse 7, we do this how? By the strength that God supplies. Serving is hard. Serving is tiring. But we do it by the strength of God. In fact, I think we do all of these things by the strength of God. We love one another by the strength of God. We host one another by the strength of God. And we serve one another by the strength of God. Let us be that kind of church. That kind of church that's getting ready to suffer. That kind of church that's getting ready to reject the will of man. And that kind of church that is getting ready to embrace the will of God. I'm going to love one another. I'm going to host one another. I'm going to serve one another. I'm going to brace it because that's the will of God for the suffering church. And what I've noticed about these commands is this. Each one of those is something, is it not, that our Savior has first done for us. Think about it for a second. It's incredible. We love Why? Because he first loved us. He gave himself up for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love because he first loved us. We host and show hospitality because he showed that to us, did he not? We had nothing in us to attract us to him. Sinners, destitute, rebels rejecting him. 
And yet he embraces us. That's incredible. The incredible thing about the Gospels, when you look at them, is who Jesus hangs out with. Who does he hang out with? The despised and the rejected in the world. That's who he called. He was hospitable to us, was he not? He embraced us, was he not? And then, don't we serve? Why? Because he first served us. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. And so we do all these things, not in our own strength, but we all do all these things in the strength that our Savior supplies. Looking to him, you love me first. You hosted me first. You serve me first. I'm going to serve others and love them. Oh, Lord, help us this morning. Help us to get ready to suffer. Get ready to reject the will of man and get ready to embrace the will of God to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. Let us get ready and sing together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And as we do that, we'll share some comments and reflections with one another. So let's sing together.